from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, in the United States. This is program number 38 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience them like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify or even create experiences that are more meaningful for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to not only empower people to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired, and contact lenses and glasses no longer allow them to lead a normal life. To people like me, who are totally blind. To sighted parents who have a blind child blind parents who have sighted children, and blind parents with blind children, to people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, how to cook for blind people, and questions you should ask when you register at a hotel. Training centers all over the world teach blind people how to cook while blind. Things like Always put the blade of your knife under the cutting board every time you put it down. If you're using seasoning, which isn't being measured with measuring spoons or measuring cups, put it in the palm of your hand so you know how much you're using. We've learned to cook while blind, but no one has thought about how to cook for blind people. On cruise ships and in restaurants, especially high-end restaurants, presentation, how that food looks when it's put in front of you, is an important part of how that food tastes. Oxford University did research where they presented the exact same food to groups of people in three different ways. First, they threw food onto a plate in the form of a tossed salad. Next, they put the exact same food and amount of food onto a plate with space between each ingredient for a different group of 30 people. Finally, they presented the same food in the same amount as a visual work of art to a different group of 30 volunteers. The second group said the food presented with each component separated on a plate with space in between tasted better than the tossed salad group. The third group tasted the same food presented as a visual work of art, said the food tasted so good they'd pay twice as much for the attractive salad. Since we can't see the visual presentation of food, which is such an important part of how food tastes, I wondered if there's a way or ways people cooking for blind people can replace the visual presentation with an experiential presentation. Kevin Clark 
is program chair for the world-famous Colorado Mountain College's Culinary Arts Program and professor of culinary arts and teaches at its Breckenridge campus. As I've done culinary competitions either as a professional chef or as a student for 30 plus years now. And one of the very first critiques I ever heard at a professional culinary competition was from a certified master chef. So way up in the industry, very well respected. And when he was giving the critique, people were particularly, you know, asking about the visual impact of the food and what it looked like. And he sort of took this big deep breath and explains it this way. As a chef, as a cook, we have to present the food like the person is never going to eat it, but we have to make it taste like they will never see it. Leah Stone's a social worker employed as the work experience coordinator for the EDGE program for the Family Resource Networks of New Jersey. She is exceptionally talented at using spices. We were students together at the Colorado Center for the Blind in Littleton, Colorado, where she learned about a store in downtown Littleton named Savory Spice. When I was at the Colorado Center, I was introduced to Savory Spice, and I have been handing over way too much of my money to them ever since. I I love really... I guess well-seasoned food. I don't, I don't like things that are bland and boring, and that's just not my thing. I started losing my vision when I was four due to uveitis, but I became legally blind at 11, and I continued losing vision into my 20s. Basically, what I've got now is the ability to see light and colors and some shapes in one eye now, and that's it. I've been that way for about seven, almost eight years. Food and have it be presented in a fancy way. If anything, it has not being able to see food has, I think, made me more adventurous because I'm more inclined to try things that may not look so appetizing, but still smell or taste great. So that both of those are really important pieces for me being able to, you know, having it smell really good and having it taste really good and be seasoned well. Leah also says texture is an important part of a non-visual presentation. Having uh, good texture is really important. Uh, it might be the most important thing to me. I will say if a food, even if it smells great, tastes great, if it if the texture is off somehow, it, it drives me nuts. So I try to strive for food having a good texture along with everything else. Like, I think that's very, very important. Leah says if you're cooking for blind kids, talk to them about what you're doing as you cook. I don't work with little, little kids. I work with adolescents and young adults, but I have been, uh, since the pandemic started, I started teaching the young people I work with how to cook over Zoom. So something that I have learned in the two and a half years that I've had to been doing this is that being able to narrate what you're doing is so important. And I think especially for younger children who are blind, I think that is a huge part of the experience. Narrating what you're doing, how you're plating it, 
what it looks like, what its shape is, whatever. I think that's really important, not only for them to be more, a little bit more involved in the process of cooking and baking, but also it helps them develop more of an understanding of food and processes in addition to them immediately learning what they're getting. So I think narrating in the kitchen when you have blind kids is really important. But, you know, blind kids are just like blind adults. And I reject the idea. I reject this idea for all children, regardless of disability. Carlo Ferrand is the Garfield County, Colorado State University Extension Director. She has some experience cooking for a blind guy who inherently figured out how to partially make up for not being able to see his food. A teenager, I had a babysitting job where um, at lunchtime I was required to cook for the husband and wife as well as the daughter I was babysitting and he was blind so I always had to make sure that I had lunch ready to come home. Uh, he liked spices. Um, salsa was one of the things he would use on everything or he, he knew when things needed more salt, more pepper. One of the things he always, because he was a member of my church growing up, he always would be looking for lemons or other seasonings that might be available or asking people, you know, I need a little something of this because he knew it would make it taste better for him or to understand what it was. Okay, well we have some garlic in here and you can put garlic in with your vegetables. It can go on almost anything um, except for fruits. It won't taste good there. Um, You could use that for getting some additional flavors for things you want to taste garlicky. One of the things county extension agents do is make free home visits. When I talked to her about this story, she made a home visit to my home. Here she is going through my spice drawer and telling me how I can use each of them to enhance my cooking. We have have lots of garlic. You must really love garlic today. No, I don't know what I have, and I buy more of it. You've got three garlics. (laughs) Oh, I do. You have cinnamon. So cinnamon is really good for apples. You can use cinnamon with pears. It's usually used with a sweet. It's also been known to use a little with savory. You could mix it with a little bacon and have like that sweet and savory kind of component. Carla says you can use spices to add extra flavors that aren't necessarily spicy flavors. I did bring something to leave with you today, and it is a Creole seasoning that it can be used for salads or for meats, but it has salt and red pepper, black pepper, a little chili powder in it. So it makes it easy to add some extra seasonings because a lot of times, and even with COVID, we've had people not be able to taste things as well. So being able to add those other flavors to start enhancing the tongue and the different parts of our tongue. Carla says there's no need for us to only experience better food at home. They actually have started making seasoning packets. They look like little salt and pepper shaker packets that you would find on the table if you were going to add sugar to something. So the sugar packets like they would have for teas and stuff that might be on a table that you can feel and see. So you know what I'm talking about with the sugar packets or the equal packets that might be on the table. So they make those in different seasonings. So it's something that you could get that would be able to travel with you that's really lightweight. It's really small and that has different peppers and seasonings. And it's just enough to sprinkle over your dish to give it a different flavor. So it's doing a little bit of research online about these are the flavors I like to have when I'm eating chicken or eggs or 
you know, whether it's a hot sauce flavor, a pepper flavor, a salsa flavor, you actually can order it online. I haven't found it in our local grocery stores. I've been able to find it online. This one here has a company, it's called Tom Shakay's, uh, Tony Shakay's, and it is a Tony, T-O-N-Y, Shakay, C as in Charlie, H-A, C as in Charlie, H-E-R-E, and then put .com and you'll be at the website. And it's like a little salt and pepper shaker pack, but it has more flavors. A lot of places are starting to do this and you can put this on french fries. It does give a little different flavor to stuff. But how does that, when you look at the different parts of your tongue, you taste different flavors with it. Colorado Mountain College's Kevin Clark says there are things you can do to enhance the taste of food that high-end restaurants do or have done in the past. One of the things from the recent past is use infused oil. Five years ago, but the big thing on all the plates was like infused oil. So it was an herb oil of some part. And by putting those infused oils onto the plate, they're super concentrated flavors, but they blend into the plates. So like a, kind of like a really powerful salad dressing. Kevin says sighted people see the oil and expect a taste from it. But when we're blind, it may come as a jolt. So only use a couple of drops for the entire plate. Smell and taste is going to be just serving at the appropriate temperature, which seems simple, but we always say that's the very basic rule of cooking. You serve hot food hot and cold food cold. A a fairly standard recognition in the culinary field is the exact same food seasoned the exact same way. If you eat it hot versus cold, the cold food will taste as if it has 20 to 30 percent less seasoning in it. And so, you know, the biggest thing we can do is just make sure it's served at the appropriate temperature. That means eat as soon as you're served. Don't wait for everyone else to be served to begin eating. Usually it is more about having the plate warm before you even put the food on it. It doesn't need to be hot, so just think like warm tap water. We generally feel warm above 104 degrees. Hot tap water is arguably 120 Kevin says you can also preheat plates in an oven at about 110 degrees, and some plates can be heated in a microwave. Kevin says if you're serious about keeping food warm, don't spread the food out on a large plate. When we're putting food on a plate, if we can put them together so they're all basically huddling next to each other and staying warm, the food stays warm longer. Many times, and it's very trendy right now, to have little pieces of food scattered all over these very large plates. And the presentation is great, but the food is almost always cold because there's no way for that one little baby Brussels sprout or whatever it is to stay warm. Kevin also says altitude determines how fast food cools off. It's a pure elevation thing. You know, the higher you go, the less dense the air, the less dense 
the air is, the faster everything cools off. And so just by the pure nature of being higher in altitude, not only does our food not get as hot, it just cools off that much more quickly. Kind of like the, the same reason the water boils at, so at the campus in Breckenridge, water boils at about just below 190 degrees as opposed to 212 at sea level. Same thing going on there. Our food just cools off that much faster. My house is at almost 9,000 feet. Food cools off really fast. So that's the standing rule with everybody. It's like, okay, we don't wait. Even if we're in the household where we're going to say grace at some point in time, start eating the food while it's hot because it's going to get cold. Finally, Leah Stone says whether eating out or at home, expand your culinary horizons. Try everything once. If it sucks, if you hate it, you don't have to do it again, but try everything. Try cooking new things. Try baking new things. Try cuisines that you've never tried before. If you have the opportunity to try something other than what your standard everyday everyday meals are, do it. You will never regret expanding your skill set in the kitchen by trying new things with cooking or baking. And you will never regret expanding your palate by trying new and different foods that you are not used to. Cooking for blind people instead of just cooking well blind is a new concept. So we'd like to hear your ideas. We replace visual presentations of food and our enjoyment of it. Please send us an email with food in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Remember, we spell traveler the American way with one L. Delfino Rodriguez helped with this story. You're listening to the tactile traveler, empowering blinds and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. The tactile traveler's Joanna Belmont had to stay in a hotel for a month a couple of years ago, and the hotel didn't do a whole lot of things they should have. A few years ago, I was in Orlando, Florida. My daughter had had a terrible accident, and I needed to be near the hospital. So I booked a hotel room that was one block away. I'm legally blind and this hotel was a good chain, a well-known hotel. And when I went in, they helped me up to my room. I told them I was legally blind. They really did not show me around the room. And when I got to my room, I also found that the shampoos and conditioners and body lotions were all in the same shape and size bottle. And I could not read those. And it was very uncomfortable. And the TV remote, I had no idea how to use it. Didn't know if I was to push button one, button two, button three. When I tried to change the temperature in the room, I didn't know how to do that either because they did not walk me through it. There was even a little refrigerator in the beginning of the room, but they did not show me that that was there. In addition to not knowing how to turn the TV up, 
and the air conditioning down, Joanna missed three hotel amenities that would have made a stressful month more pleasant. They should have been told to her at the front desk when she registered. There were messages on written cards in the front desk of the hotel that were printed with information that they did not read to me. So I missed out on some things. One of the things I missed out on is cookies in the afternoon which would have really been nice. Another thing I missed out on was a cocktail hour. Another thing I missed out on was that they had Uber service for free from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. But since I could not read that, I did not know that it existed. I went to a National Federation of the Blind of Colorado convention at a double tree by Hilton in Greeley, Colorado. We stayed three nights. There were 300 blind people there. Housekeeping never cleaned our room. We are an opt-in. Hilton wide is opt-in as far as clean stay. So what that means is when you are here for more than one night, um, it is by request only for getting your room cleaned. If you're here more than, I believe it's on the fifth night, if you're here for that extent of a stay, we do request that we get in there at least once. But anything shorter than that, it is by request only. That's Kara Snow, the hotel's front desk manager. She said that's been Hilton's policy since COVID. Typically, yes, we do. We let you know at check-in. And then we also, again, with your group, this would fall short. Um, But we also put a little piece of paper in your key packet that explains that. But again, with your group, that wouldn't help, unfortunately. And I do apologize about that. There is one sign at the desk that explains our clean stay policy. And then in the rooms, there is also a window cling on the the bathroom mirror that um, explains our policies. I finally realized our room wasn't being cleaned, so I went to the front desk and complained and was told we have to ask to have our room cleaned. And it was too late. Housekeeping had already gone home. We had a disgusting room with wet towels, beds unmade, rotting food in our wastebaskets, and a lack of supplies, like soap in the bathroom. From now on, when I check into a hotel, I don't care how busy they are or how many people are in line behind me. I will make the desk clerk read every sign on the front desk. And anywhere in the lobby, I can't. So my my thoughts are that if you or I ever go through that again, that we speak up, that we let people know that not only are we blind or legally blind or whatever our disability is, but that we actually need help with things like reading cards that are on their front desk uh, that would maybe tell us what time breakfast is or that they had. A cocktail hour and especially something like a free Uber ride that would have been great to know but they didn't walk through those things with me they were very polite and very kind in so many ways but not those ways and it really interfered with my enjoyment of the visit so in the future let's all speak up for ourselves and let's continue to speak up and realize there's some things that we just can't do on our own too easily and it would be great if the people who were paying money to could help us in a better and more concise way. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blinds and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. 
on program number 37 on the story Making Reservations on the Reservation, I accidentally deleted the name and title of the woman being interviewed on the second part of the story on Native Hawaiian experiences. Here is that story corrected. If you'd like to share experiences with a group of friends. My name is Kaui Kanaka'ole. I'm the executive director of Ala Kukui Retreat. We are a nonprofit organization that operates from a 12-acre retreat property. And our mission is to promote health and wellness of our community and our people and culture of Hana and Hawaii. We take groups, so you could definitely set up a retreat if you wanted to come here with a group. We have a retreat house that can sleep anywhere from 8 to 14 people. Most of the time, what we do is we help groups to create their own agenda for the, the stay. We can direct them to different places to see or things to do here but usually when groups come they have their own kind of set objectives that they want to do together. It's very remote. We're located on the east side of Maui, about 55 miles from the nearest airport. And our location, there is very little cell service and just one spot on property where you can connect to Wi-Fi. So it's very much unplugged type of retreat. Activities range from sightseeing, hikes, different tours in the community. Um, things we have partners that we work with in our community, other nonprofits that do cultural, like farming, fishing, taking care of uh, coastal resources, working in the taro patches. So it kind of depends what kind of cultural activities you want to do. We can be reached at 808-248-7841. That number again is... 808-248-7841 and alakukui.org. Alakukui is spelled A-L-A-K-U-K-U-I. Why, it's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please send us an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. And please remember, we spell traveler the American way with one L. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. This program's also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and wherever you get podcasts, and by asking your smart speaker to play the Tactile Traveler. Sometimes you have to ask it to play the podcast, the Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following people and organizations that help make this program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support. Apple Accessibility Tech Support. Leslie Steffens. Pat Conneros. Lorraine Hutchinson. Debbie O'Leary. Sarah Williams. Sophia Williams. Kaylee Romero. And Raleigh Burley. 
This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.